0: Good morning, happy 4th of July weekend. Hopefully you guys are going to um, eat in moderation this weekend. I don't know. I'm not planning on it. Um, We are continuing our series called People Are Asking, and we started a few weeks ago by asking um, you to to submit questions that you would like addressed during the series, And when the question started coming in about science and faith and creation, um, I raised my hand and said, I'll do that one, Um, because I've been thinking about this for more than 30 years. And um, the question specifically that we're going to talk about today is, does science contradict the Bible? Does science contradict the Bible? And I know that when I was in school, I was always glad when it was a multiple choice test because I knew that I had at least a 25% chance of getting the answer right. And so I wanted to make it easy for you and give you multiple choice options to the question, does science contradict the Bible? Option A is absolutely not. In fact, there's no way that they can contradict each other. Option B, of course. In fact, science and scripture are diametrically opposed to each other. Okay, option C, actually, I'm not sure. And and if that's not enough, I know that when I took multiple choice tests, there was always that final option, which was D, all of the above. And so what I want to do this morning is use that set of options as the framework for the first part of the message. And I'll take 15 or 20 minutes, and we'll work through that. And then I'm really excited to bring three of our church members up who have specific knowledge in science and medicine and continue the conversation. We'll go into some details. Okay. So um, first of all, why am I interested in this? Well, first of all, I'm a Christian. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, I dabbled with Christianity through high school and and then at in my fourth year of college, which was my junior year, don't judge <laughs> in my fourth year of college, I decided that I wanted Christianity proven in my life or I wanted to just reject the whole thing. and I made a A full commitment to following Christ and that was many many years ago and Christ has not failed and I feel like Christianity has been proven in my life and so that's the reason I'm a Christ follower that's the reason that that I work here and get to be on staff Um, but I'm also a scientist so that degree that I was working on it took five years was a bachelor's degree in chemistry. And then I went on and got a PhD in physical organic chemistry, and I did a postdoc and um, I've, I've studied science. And then I worked for 24 years in a, a life science tools company. Um, and, and so science has been a passion and a focus area for me for a long time. In fact, it was my first year of graduate school, 1988, and a group came to town and And they were a a Christian group that researched creation and they came for some seminars and I went with a friend and they said, if you don't believe exactly the way that we believe about creation and the universe, then you're not a Christian. And that was the first time that I'd heard a statement like that. And so it it rocked my world a little bit because I was a Christian and a scientist, and and it started me in a, an in-depth study of what do we make of all this. That same year, another group on campus um, presented an alternative view, and it became the foundation for how I think about. The interface between science and faith and so i want to give you that this is this is the key logical progression that is at the center of everything i think about science and faith and it it's a syllogism with two parts and a conclusion so part one god reveals himself in his word and god reveals himself in his world in creation and and we know part one is true because he says so in the Bible, right? In 2 Timothy, verse three sixteen, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us about what is true, to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. All scripture is inspired by God, and so God reveals himself in his word. Scripture, um, but God also tells us that he reveals himself in his world. In fact, in Romans 1 verse 20, it says, forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, the eternal power and the divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. God reveals himself in in his creation in nature and in fact in the Psalms it's a little bit more um, explosive than that Psalm 19 says the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship day after day they continue to speak night after night they make him known part one God God reveals himself in his word and God reveals himself in his world creation. Part two, God is consistent. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and God can't contradict himself. And so if part one is true and part two is true, then the conclusion is that science and scripture can't be in conflict with each other. They can't contradict each other. And, and where they appear to contradict each other, it's because of one of three possible reasons. Possible reason number one, that we are misinterpreting what we see in nature, right? And, and so that's kind of the legacy of science that through the generations Um, As we study more and more, we learn that how we thought isn't necessarily how we think now, and how we think now is probably not how we're going to think and interpret the scientific findings that we have um, in the future. And so possibility number one on those apparent contradictions between science and Scripture is we're misinterpreting science. Um, Option number two is that in those apparent contradictions between science and Scripture, we're misinterpreting Scripture we're reading into it something that wasn't intended to be there and there are lots of smart people who look at the original languages and study and and if it weren't an opportunity to have different positions then we wouldn't have so many seminaries and so much study but there's a possibility that we're reading something that wasn't intended to be there in some cases and then option three which I really like is that in those apparent conflicts between science and scripture we actually might be misinterpreting science and scripture you can't dismiss the possibility that we're wrong on both counts and so we need to approach it that way but we need to know that those are only apparent contra- conflicts because the God who created the universe is not going to contradict himself and so nature and God's God's Book of Nature and God's Book of Scripture are not in conflict. That's answer A. And so that's, that's the right answer. Congratulations. However, um, let's talk about option B. And, and for that, I want to talk about uh, the, the biggest, most technical phrase that we're going to get to this morning probably is methodological naturalism. Now, I've got it up here, and I underlined the roots of the two words, method and natural. And methodological naturalism is a self-imposed restriction on science. And scientists say this is how we do science, by following methodological naturalism. And, And what that means is the methods that we use to study and explain the universe and everything in it are focused and restricted to those things that occur naturally methodological naturalism and I think that that's a an appropriate self-imposed restriction on science I think that what they're saying is we're going to study only what is observable and recurring and natural and and that means that if there's anything above nature or outside of nature then that's not in the realm of science. But methodological naturalism comes with a limitation, and it comes with the potential to lead to an error. So first the limitation. The limitation is this, that methodological naturalism limits science to studying only what is natural. And that means that it can't study A miraculous creation of the universe right it means it can't study any miracles or interventions that are not reproducible and so that limitation is placed on science by science and and that would be well and good I mean scientists could live with that limitation but that limitation leads to an error And and here's the progression to that error. So methodological naturalism, that restriction about how we're going to study, leads to philosophical naturalism. and, And you see the root in the second phrase is philosophy. And it is the belief that since we can only study what's natural and reoccurring, that that's all that exists. And Carl Sagan has this famous quote that captures philosophical naturalism Perfectly, he says the cosmos is all there was, is, or was, or ever will be. That's philosophical naturalism, that there's nothing there. There's no creator, there's no miracles, there's no soul, just stuff. And and it's pretty easy to see that if you have philosophical naturalism, which is sometimes called scientism— which is a phrase that I don't really like. Um, but if you, if you hold to philosophical naturalism, then you are in conflict with every page of Scripture. Because if you're saying there's nothing outside of the universe and no God exists and no soul exists and no creator exists, then, then you are in conflict with the Bible on every page. And, and so answer B turns out to be right. That science or at least scientism is in conflict with scripture now it raises a question what exactly do christians believe about creation and science and and this is where it's my turn to point you to the undivided series and um, it's my andrew miller did it last week in the first message in this series um, it's my prediction that in the next four messages in this series, that somebody at some point is going to mention the Undivided series, because it's how we here at First Free categorize beliefs into four different categories. The the first two categories are dogma and doctrine, which are those things that we at First Free believe are essential to Christianity. And and the dogma is, is universally shared among all Christians. The doctrine is particular particularly shared among Christians who in the EFCA, um, but shared across other denominations as well. And and those are are what we believe are the essential beliefs for Christianity in understanding scripture and understanding God. And then the next two categories are are convictions and preferences. And those are things that we say there are beliefs, some very strongly held, that different Christians believe differently on, but two things. We're not going to, to make those essential to salvation, and we're not going to separate on them. You can believe one way and I can believe another, and those convictions will not separate us and, and break our fellowship together. And, and that's really important. And if, if you're interested in learning more, um, efree.org undivided has all of the sermon series that goes through each of those in detail Um, it's just it's a core way that we approach these difficult questions so what is the dogma and doctrine around creation well the EFCA which is our denomination says um, that we have a statement of faith and then they published a book called evangelical convictions which unfortunately is mostly about dogma and doctrine and not convictions but um, they picked that title and didn't consult us Um, but evangelical convictions is a great book that goes into detail about how we think about some of the the broader areas in our statement of faith, and it has a number of things to say about um, creation. In fact, there are six beliefs that are considered dogma or doctrine, according to the EFCA, and so I've got those here. I know it's a little bit hard to see in the in the auditorium so let me just read those for you belief number one is that God created everything out of nothing God created everything out of nothing belief number two is that when he created it God pronounced his creation very good God created with order and purpose so if there is a proposed understanding that it's random and purposeless that is in conflict with the belief that God created with order and purpose God is sovereign rule over all, ruler over all creation and he sustains his creation by his power number five God created the first human beings the historical Adam and Eve uniquely in his image there's something fundamentally different about how God created men and women from animals and plants and the rest of the cosmos and finally through Adam and Eve's sin all humanity along with all created order is now fallen those six beliefs it's clear that none of those beliefs fits in a worldview of Philosophical Naturalism and so that gets us to answer B which is no scientism and scripture are actually diametrically opposed at least from a philosophical perspective for those scientists that accept that okay what about the other stuff I mean how old the universe is how old the earth is uh, microevolution macroevolution abiogenesis one of my favorites we might talk about that a little bit later Uh, what about the dinosaurs But what about all that stuff? Well, evangelical convictions has a quote on that that I want to share with you, and here it is, though. All evangelical Christians are united in the conviction, the dogma, the doctrine that God is the creator of all things. They have been divided over how God created, how long it took and what process he may have used to be sure. Genesis one expresses truth about God as creator and his creation. But because of the uncertainty regarding the meaning and literary form of this text and the lack of evangelical consensus on the issue, our statement of faith does not require a particular position on the mechanics creation. That's evangelical convictions. Um, in college, I had a chaplain named Reuben Welch and Reuben used to say, I tend to believe the last person I read on the subject. It, your, your laughter says you kind of get what he's saying. And he meant it partly as a joke, but he also meant it to acknowledge that we can listen to a set of arguments and say, yeah, that's right. And then hear the another, another set of arguments and go, oh, wait, no, that's right. And, and it was an expression by Reuben Welch of a, an intellectual humility that says, I don't know everything, and, and that's okay. In contrast, some of you may have heard me say, in a moment of honest confession, I've already told you more than I know about the subject. And I think I'm getting better at that. My wife, Pam, has helped me um, over almost 35 years uh, by asking one question routinely. Do you really know that, or are you just saying it? you can check with her to see if I'm getting better as I get older but I want to make sure that in this area of the details of faith and science that we don't fall into the camp of saying more than we know there's way plenty of that on all sides of all these issues and so intellectual humility is really an important part of communicating and that's why I think answer C is pretty good too which is actually I don't know I'm not sure and I'm not sure if if there's conflict or not between what science is finding and what we see in scripture and I'm okay with that um so what about that organization that came to campus in 1988 and said if you don't believe this then you're not a Christian well, in preparation for this, I did a little bit of research, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the organization, because I'm not 100% sure that I found the right one, and it was a long time ago, and I don't want to malign an organization, um, and, and also because as I was doing my research, I found a statement just in the last few years by the found, one of the founders of the organization that I think it was, and I may owe them an apology. I may have heard something that they didn't actually say. And and here's why, because on the website of the organization that I think it was, their founder, and, and you'll notice, I'm not going to tell you their name, but anybody who knows how to Google can find it if they want it. Their founder says this, and I think it's a beautiful example of intellectual humility. He says, because of our organizations stand on this all important issue, some have suggested that our organization teaches that belief in a young earth is necessary for salvation that is not the case salvation does not imply perfect understanding of doctrine for then no one could be saved God grants salvation when one repents of his sins and asks for forgiveness based on Christ's death for his sin a sinner doesn't have to know anything about the age of the earth I I love that that statement is an expression of intellectual humility and recognizing what is dogma and what is conviction. Um, I'm gonna confess science is great and I love science and I love scientists and because of science, we all have smartphones and none of us have polio. And that's, that's amazing. And I love scientists. In fact, Um, Before we bring the panel up, I just want to tell you about three conversations that I had this week. I reached out to three former students from our high school ministry um, who are all pursuing scientific careers right now, just to check in with them and see how's it going. Um, All three are following Jesus. All three are studying science. Um, I met with John Bear. And John, he's so close. He's maybe three months away from finishing his Ph.D. in molecular biology at um, Washington University School of Medicine. And and John shared with me, um, he's he's studying uh, pancreatitis and pancreatic cancer. And the role of immune cells, which interestingly, this is as nerdy as I'm going to get, I promise. But the same immune cells that are essential for healing a case of pancreatitis have been implicated in predisposing people to pancreatic cancer. And John's research, which he shared a pre-published version of with me, um, is, is a big step toward understanding how we might treat or even cure those diseases. And so he's, he's probably going to defend his PhD in three months. And, and he said that as he studied science, it has pushed him to a deeper study of God's word. And in fact, I run into John um, because his group does a Bible study the same place that I have a group that studies CS Lewis books. And so we see each other and I get to keep up in, in touch with him. And I won't tell you that it's a brewery. That's not really relevant. I also talked to Blake Andrews and Blake just graduated from Wheaton College with a degree in chemistry. Go chemistry. And next month, we'll start a Ph.D. program at UC Berkeley um, in physical chemistry. Berkeley is not a Christian college. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and, but Blake told me that in studying science and in studying faith, he's recognized that at, at the foundation of either a, an atheistic naturalist worldview or a theistic view of a creator God is faith. And and Blake said he's really recognized that faith is the essential element in whatever anybody believes. The evidence is important. We need to look at the facts. We need to understand them. But there's an element of belief, an element of faith. I thought, man, I'm like 22 years old. How do you you get that? So good. And I, I got to talk to Kara Stark. And Kara's in her second year of a Ph.D. program at Duke Medical School, also not a Christian college, Um, but but Kara is studying delivery mechanisms for gene therapy, and and you and I may end up benefiting from her research at some point in the future, Um, and and Kara, close to the end of our conversation, took me to Act 17. And it's where Paul is talking to the educated philosophers in Athens at the Acropolis, and he's he's talking to them. And and it ends with this passage that Kara interpreted in a way that I had never applied. And I just want to share with you what what she said. Um, In Acts 17, verses 27 and 28, Paul says his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And here's what Kara told me. She said, I feel that through my research, I am feeling my way toward God. The more I learn about the elegance of his creation, the more I realize how close he is. Man, it was great to talk to those three. And I realized as I was talking to them that that young men and women who are following Christ and are also called into professions in science face a number of unique challenges. And so I'm going to end this portion of the message by praying for John and Blake and Kara. And then we'll invite the panel up and we'll continue the conversation. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for your world. Thank you for the way that you reveal yourself In nature around us and in the scripture that you've given us and I pray for John and for Blake and for Kara I thank you that you have called them to follow you which they're doing with their hearts with their lives and that you've called them into careers in science and I just pray that you would bless them and direct them and I thank you that they're my friends who have have come from this youth group here at first free And are now in the world representing you in in challenging places bless the rest of our conversation God and and help us to say only things that that glorify you in your name amen all right I'm going to invite the panel up and as they come up we'll get set and I will get to introduce these amazing people Um, I said earlier that meeting with those three young scientists was the highlight of my week. Um, Interacting with these three was a a very close second. um. So on our panel we have Doug Pogue, and Doug is the president of a major medical group. Major? It's not major. It's a minor, insignificant medical group. Um, Some of you know, it's it's one of the best in St. Louis, and it's one of the best because it's covered by my insurance, and so I'm really glad to be able to go there. Um, Doug's the president of the medical group there. Uh, Before that, he was the uh, chief medical officer. Uh, Before that, he was my personal physician, and I was really sad to see him go into uh, leadership and administration of the organization, but I think it's a good role. Um, over the last six years, he served on our elder board, the, two, the last two years as the chairman of the elder board, and um, we really benefited from his leadership here. And so um, Doug and his wife, Lynn, have been at the church for 23 years, right? 23. Wow. Um, and then we have Shannon Potter, and, and Shannon is a doctor of obstetrics and gynecology. She has never been my personal physician. Um, but she has a practice here in St. Louis. And in addition to that, uh, Shannon has served in medical missions in Congo and Kenya and Togo and a bunch of other places. Um, You guys served in Africa for almost five years um, and have been at First Free for 12 years. Yeah. Um, And so it's great to have Shannon. And then Ryan is uh, married to Shannon. There's there's probably more to it than that. I'm teasing. I mean, no, I'm not teasing. He is married to Shannon. Um, But Ryan has a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in biomedical engineering. And while they were in Africa, Ryan served in uh, a role as a coach and a teacher and a leader in different organizations. Um, And on returning to the U.S., he went back to Washington University Medical School, where you're in the middle of a... a a PhD program in biomedical engineering, and and Ryan is studying the physiological causes of lower back pain, and as a lower back pain sufferer I just say Godspeed on your research. Um, That's really awesome, and so I'm really glad. Would you just thank them up front for being on the panel? Um, This is great. When I knew I was going to do this, I knew I, I had some people that I wanted to reach out to, and These guys are amazing. Um, So here's where I want to start. Um, I shared a little bit about my early interactions with faith and science, and so um, I'd really love if you guys would just share how your experience in that interface between faith and science have shaped you and the way that you think about it.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm happy to start. Um, So I'm I'm a bit of an odd duck, as you know, um, uh, because actually I came to faith through my science education, not in spite of it. Um, so I, uh, I grew up in a uh, uh, family that went to a Presbyterian church uh, back east, and um, and we were we were engaged in all kinds of good stuff. We were in soup kitchens. We built houses for people that didn't have houses. Uh, we worked on racial reconciliation. We worked on all kinds of stuff, which is all great. All good stuff. Um, the only problem is, is that Jesus Christ wasn't in the middle of that, um, and so we were highly service oriented. I don't want to dispel that because I actually turned it into a career eventually. Right. But um, but it uh, but, but Christ wasn't in the center of that at all. And so um, so quickly, when I uh, even got a high school level of, of science education um, that moved me out of my, my faith completely. Um, but then I encountered a problem as I got deeper and deeper into my, my education. Um, is that I, you know, when you get into molecular genetics, when you get into quantum physics, when you get into understanding um, things like the cosmological constants of the universe and other kinds of things, when you dig into that stuff hard, you come you come to an intellectual and objective problem, which is that, you know, Darwinian evolution from, from the way that it's it's described and practiced, you know, by, by much of the world today, doesn't actually work. It doesn't physically work from the ground up. Um, so for, for instance, if you, you even think about uh, getting to the first cell, okay, just how do we get from a, a probiotic soup to the first cell, right? Um, uh, there, is, there is, even if you assume perfect, perfect conditions, um, if you say, hey, okay, well, what does it take to have a cell? Well, it takes about 450,000 base pairs. So that's, that's, that's DNA. That's basically, think of the number of building blocks you got to have in order, in the right order. Um, to uh, to have a cell that has all the stuff that it needs, where it could, it could replicate itself and those kind of things. Um, um, it's it's an, an incredibly difficult proposition. For instance, the, the difference between the size of your eyeball and the size of the entire universe, like literally everything in the, in the known measured quantity of the universe is 29 powers. Okay, that's in a power where you, where you take the previous unit and multiply it by 10, then take that unit and multiply it 10, etc. So if you, take, if you take the one inch across that you've got as an eyeball and, um, and multiply that by 29 powers, you get the entire expanse of the universe. Um, if, you try to, if you try to understand just the math, of, of taking randomized base pairs that are floating around in a soup and would have to actually link to each other in exactly the right order, stay stable, stay stable long enough that it forms a complete whole and then is able to self replicate. Uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about one times 10 to the 40,000th power. Okay, so so 40,000 000 zeros under that under that uh, under that bar. And so just mathematically, it, does, it doesn't work. It just physically doesn't work. This it, is how you hear people sometimes talk about, oh, it's really complex and all that kind of stuff. No, it really is objective. You don't need to have any feelings about it. And so so when I, when I hit that, when I hit that objective wall and realized eh, it doesn't work. Um, I was open to other kinds of things, and I had a, a friend of mine who was uh, just much smarter than I was, but is a, she's a pediatrician out at Stanford, um, but she, she walked in authentic faith and was able to present another option um, that, that intellectually um, we could test and basically just challenged me, go disprove it, you know, take all your data driven scientific standards and put it against the Bible, put it against reality as, as we're able to measure it and, uh, and see what, uh, what comes up. And so that's actually started my journey to faith. Uh, to understand who God was, and to
0: eventually just understand kind of His created order and divine uh, creation. Yeah, it's it, it's funny because you say that there's like a one in ten times ta- one times ten to the forty thousandth one in ten, and and some scientists say so. You're saying there's a chance that, <laughs> and there's just not. Ryan or Shannon, I mean, it's where? What about early interactions there?
2: Yeah. For me,
0: I, uh, I grew up
2: in the church, I grew up in um, schools that were Christian, and we went to a university um, that was a Christian university, and I had this view, this Young Earth view that was kind of instilled in me, kind of growing up, and I got kind of dogmatic about that view, um, and our university had a debate. They brought in a, an atheist and they brought in an old earth scientist who was actually one of my professors, and then they brought in a young earth um, professor, and they just debated. And in that debate, I realized there are Christians that really hold to this old earth perspective. And I, I found that my arrogance was really getting in the way of being intellectually humble and i really held to a belief that i shouldn't have um, in in the way that i did Um, it moved from dogma down to more of a conviction for me and i think another piece for me was kind of early on i I saw this tension between science and religion and galileo in his early days in the what was it the 1600s believed the idea that the earth was not the center of the solar system, and the church was in conflict with that, and they were calling him to recant. And I, you can take away from that just this kind of division between those that are not intellectually humble. Um, and as scientists, um, we look at the church, and if, if the church isn't willing to be humble about something that it, it got wrong, um, How is it it that scientists in turn will also be humble? And I just, that intellectual humility, I think really breaks down divisions between the two.
3: Yeah, my interaction came a little bit younger. I was actually in grade school um, debating, actually, with one of my little classmates, who is also one of the smartest in my grade, and we were just talking about dinosaurs. Is it possible they actually were walking with humans? And he said, oh, absolutely not. Look here in the encyclopedia. It says that they were extinct, and they lived this many billions of years old ago, and um, so I just asked him, well, do you believe everything in that encyclopedia? And he said no. And so that's kind of where we left it in our little grade school minds is that, oh, no, maybe we don't know everything. Um, But I think one of the things that I think about when I consider just the challenge of talking to young people is, you know, a lot of people have a Sunday school type um, knowledge of the Bible. So they learn the little stories, the cute stories with the pictures in the Sunday school, and they learn a kind of a superficial level knowledge of the Bible. And then they start going to school and they start learning more and more about science. And then they can read about it on Wikipedia and Google. And you've probably all looked at a scientific study in the last year. Maybe, maybe not. But have you looked that deep in your faith? Have you looked at uh, the newest research into how um how the Bible's being interpreted maybe not so that kind of um has been something that stuck with me as well
0: yeah you know that's that's really interesting and I know that Ryan you and Doug and I have worked with high school students and that's one of the things that we see a lot is that the the debate between science and faith ends up being a debate between. Uh, children's church understanding of Scripture and high school and college training in science, and it's really not a fair conversation. And yeah, so,
3: and, and both of them are, you know, the truth of science and the truth of the Bible um, are not just faith or not just intellect, which sometimes people put that in there. Like, just it's just your faith or it's just the knowledge, but faith is based on belief and belief is based on knowledge, and that goes for both sides. you got to have the knowledge as the base that gives you belief, that gives you the faith to believe the stuff that you don't yet understand. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, one of the things Andrew did last week that I really liked is when we, we take up these hard questions, and as you've thought about them over the years, what scriptures have stood out for you that that you come back to from time to time when you're thinking about this?
3: So my favorite one is Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. And I feel so privileged that every day I live that I'm not just looking for the next meal to eat, but I actually get to spend time studying science. I feel like a king and so it's a glory of god to conceal the matter and to search out the matter is the glory of kings wow that's awesome
2: for me i think psalms 139 um it's 14 and 15 i'll just read it thank you for making me so wonderfully complex your workmanship is marvelous how well i know it you watched me as i was being formed in utter seclusion as i was woven together in the dark of the womb just that idea of being formed and being a workmanship um, and being wonderfully complex. I think all of those, as I study the body and I study just how complex pain is and how complex uh, back injury can be, just that understanding that God made those things and you you learn a little bit more about an artist when you study the painting, and I think the same is true whenever I'm studying the human body. Um, And then I'd also just, in in this idea of understanding about God I think 2 Peter 3:8 eight, um, but you must forget but you must not forget this one thing dear friends a day is like a thousand years to the lord and a thousand years is like a day and for me I had a physics professor as well that talked about how God is often outside of time and we're very one dimensional in terms of our time he just has this ability to see time in a way that we don't and we just can't comprehend. And I think that, um, again, just gives me a a humility in my limitations and my understanding of who who our God is. Mm -hmm. That's
1: good. I think one that um, that uh, helped me early on in my journey was one that you actually uh, mentioned here in terms of Romans chapter one. I'll just read it again just to, to help with a point. So uh, starting in verse 19, since what has been since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I think just early on, that, that was really encouraging to me um, to understand that I could, I could pursue an investigation of the objective world with as much gusto as possible, um, with no fear that, um, um, that I would run into something that would contradict, um, essentially, the reality of God or the reality of Scripture. I mean, literally, stare into the electron microscope and you will see the handiwork of God. And so that was just really encouraging to me um, early on. And so it's one that I still hang on to, that we can, we can pursue God and pursue the, the physical world with gusto and not
0: worry that you're ever gonna get outside the limitations that God has set. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so I admittedly have left the scientific community, right? I'm working at a church now um, after 24 years in a science environment, but you guys are still working in academia and in medicine. Um, What are the challenges or the opportunities as a Christian in those environments?
3: Well, we just got back from Africa this week, and I walked into a firestorm. As you know, in OBGYN, it's been kind of crazy in the last week. And um, as you may guess, it's been a little bit um, interesting at work having people um, assume perspectives that I may have, and people also from maybe church and family assume that I have a certain perspective. And so, you know, that along with, you know, going through training and trying to figure out what I believe about birth control and contraception, you know, a lot of the guidance that people that might say that they're pro-life give is from a very Catholic perspective, which has been that no contraceptive is okay because it blocks any possibility of of having a child. And so from, I don't come from that perspective, but yet I respect life. And so it's been more difficult for me to figure out what do I believe about different birth controls and contraception. And so I think that's been a hard thing that I've wrestled with. And I'm, I'm not an expert in you know planetary science and physics but I do consider myself an expert in birth control and contraception so you know one of those that's one of those things I feel like I can give to the the church community
0: yeah actually I'll just jump in here and just say that as as we were preparing Shannon said hey just let them know if anybody if that's an a topic that is important to you or interesting to you or difficult for you that Shannon would love to talk with you um, because she's put a lot of time into thinking through that, and and so that that's a great offer. Um, challenges or opportunities, guys? Yeah, I think
2: one of my biggest challenges, um, as we came back from the mission field about four years ago, I just was wondering, what is my mission field? And um, I think whenever I got into academics again, um, I found myself just wondering how much of my beliefs i share with my co-workers and how do i do that in a way that's god-honoring and um, i think you don't want to be pushy in those in those settings you don't want to push people away um, but you want to share in a way that um, shows people that you really care about them as well and you're not just arguing with them um, I, I think the intellectual argument can can deteriorate and decides very quickly um, and so that's one piece just how do you share the gospel in a setting like I'm in in a way that really resonates with the people that, that you're with and then I think the other piece is really an opportunity that I have to change some stereotypes I think the media paints Christians as a certain way and when you can be in an environment like that when I can lean on some of the experiences that we've had in Africa of how we've given up life in America and we've gone to love other people well and we've tried to serve and we've been sacrificial in our lives, Um, I hope that's attractive to people and that they see that um, the fruit of our lives and the fruit of Christianity is something that is attractive and it's hopefully changing stereotypes.
1: Yeah, I'd love to pick up on that, because it's a really great point that um, the stereotype is the biggest challenge, I think, that we all face. Um, One of the just realities of of being human is when we think that we know everything about a certain topic, we tend to stop listening and even start to consider folks that want to reengage in the conversation as somehow uninformed or it's like, well, don't you understand this is already settled? Um, and so I, I, I certainly find that in the medical community um, going through these kinds, of, these kinds of issues. And so I think, I think the issue, to Ryan's point, is really on point, which is um, we have to change stereotypes. We have to be able to create a different kind of conversation. Um, because otherwise, it, it ends up being, you, know, you end up talking past each other to a degree, and, and we, need to, we need to change the way the conversation exists such that folks can have a more authentic and, and um, I think it's just an open interaction about kind of what, what the data really shows us and how we can interact in the world. But certainly from the, um, the Christian circles inside of scientific and, and medical circles, um, we have some, some reputation repair work to do, um, but it's, um, it's eminently within
0: God's, God's uh, purview to do that. So. I think that's the conversation yeah that's really good um you see why I could just spend the whole afternoon talking with them but we are we are committed to ending at some point you know before the fireworks um and so so let me put this challenge to you I mean we've all kind of experienced areas where we see God's creative power in in our study of science and so just offer one example each of hey this is someplace that i've seen god demonstrated in in science or medicine
2: yeah i think for me i have papers and papers and papers where i look at these figures and it just takes me sometimes hours to tease out all the details that are in those figures they're just flow of essentially there's this injury and then it creates this cascade of these molecules and these cytokines and just it, then it responds and the cell does something and just you then produce something and then that then leads to a healing response and so just the amazing complexity of that kind of going back to the verse that i that i said just we're fearfully and wonderfully made and um, we're so complex and i think just understanding that um, just learning more about my creator way. Really.
3: I think about when I'm doing surgery, I can take organs out, I can move them around, I can like seal vessels off, but I'm not really healing them. It's God that heals them, and we can understand some of the processes, like Ryan was talking about, of how healing actually happens, but there's a lot that goes into that. And even when I'm teaching my medical students in Africa, they tell me, you know, this one we thought was going to live, and this one we thought was no way he was going to make it. And instead, this is the one that passed away, and this is the one that's doing fine today. And so they understood that there is a component that we don't understand. We can look at the numbers on the vent settings, or we can look at the medications we're giving them, and we can say, oh, I think this one's gonna make it. But really, it's God that decides our final destiny. And so I think that's one thing that I've taken away, especially from working in Africa, is that we think we're in control. Yeah. But we are not in control, and I think when I pray with my patients before surgery, I emphasize that you know I can treat you, but God's going to heal you.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, I, I just with yeah. Yeah. With with every passing year, I, I just become more and more impressed. With the interconnected design um, that God put in our bodies, both both internally and externally. And what I mean by that is, um, so not only do the systems function with with incredible elegance, right? Which which any of us who've who either cut someone open and actually tried to mess around with that elegance, um, or just you know people like me that functionally try to change it, um, um, you know, there, there's this in, there's this incredible intricacy and interdependence. But also there's there's a, a coexistent need to be connected to the body. So, for instance, if you, if you go in, you know, if, so I'm a bad surgeon. Don't, you don't want me doing surgery on you. She's a good surgeon. So she goes in and, and just literally takes a perfectly healthy muscle and clips the nerve. Doesn't do anything else. The muscle's perfectly fine. It's got good blood flow. It's got all that. Just, let's just clip the nerve. That's it. That muscle will waste away and die. Nothing's wrong with it. But it's no longer connected to the brain. That's the only thing you've changed about it. And so there's so even so even physically, there's this need to to be in connection and that connection is life giving. Okay. And then you you go outside the body and, and look at just how we all interact interpersonally as we interact in communities, we interact in family. We need to be connected. We are designed for connection. Take a human being, remove them from connection, particularly all connection. You know, you can look at data on solitary confinement for prisoners, right? Remove a human being from all connection. What happens to them? They wither away. Right. So, so I, just as I see the, you know, just the, the symmetry, the accuracy, the, the way that we are interconnected, not just as a physical structure, but as a connected structure, and that just more and more, the, the more I just live life and, and, and kind of experience both medical and social realities, um, it's just more and more impressive about this is this is a coordinated design whole, and uh, it just has more impact
0: on me literally every year. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, let me just throw one in too, okay because Doug started us with the chances the difficulty of getting to the original first cell from a scientific perspective and I love the Wikipedia page for abiogenesis now you may scoff at Wikipedia but recognize that every scientist in the world can edit this right they can add all of the known information about abiogenesis which means Getting, yeah. I was going to give you a, a jargon alert. What in the world jargon is abiogenesis? Jargon alert, flag on the play. <laughs> um, abiogenesis means getting to life from not life. And and here is, I swear to you, if you go to Wikipedia today and you type in abiogenesis, spelled exactly like it sounds, then you will see that the best that scientists have to offer is an increasingly larger and larger series of question marks. Um In getting from molecular possibilities to the functioning first cell that's your 10 to the 40 thousandth possibility and even the best scientific presentations that we have edited by any scientist who wants to edit them as long as they can back it up with any information um, it results in you can see four increasingly larger and larger question marks up there and that's because science can't explain creation um, I, I want to finish with this, okay? Because we could, we could do a whole six-week series on all of the different elements of how did creation happen. And a few weeks ago, when I asked these guys to be on the panel, Shannon said, have you read The Science of God? And we are not endorsing The Science of God. Um, <laughs> Shannon will be doing a book selling, signing later. Um, <laughs> no. No. But but I said okay I'll read it and I read it and it is it it's one of many different approaches but it's different. Do you want to just tell them a little bit about it because it's weird?
3: Yeah. So this is written by a Jewish theologian who's also got a PhD in nuclear physics and planet and planetary science and he t- teaches at MIT. So he's smart, um, and he only takes peer. Reg- peer-reviewed journal articles for science, and he only takes ancient commentaries that were written before Darwin and all the others. So they should be as unbiased as possible. And then he tries to show us how they're completely compatible, and it's amazing. Um, I'm an eternal optimist, and so I always thought, there's gotta be a way that this is all true, that it is 15 billion years old, and it is um, six days old, right? And he actually shows in this book, in a little chart how he feels like, okay, God said he is light. He's traveling at the speed of light. So as he's talking about time, he's speaking from his own perspective. And from his own perspective, he's going really fast. Einstein's theory of relativity, that time slows down as, as the speed changes. So when he said, let there be light, and there was a big bang, and it started expanding, then it's gotten slower and slower. So as we look at it, it looks like it lasted a long time. But as he's looking at it, it only took 24 hours, 24 hours. It's really fascinating. There's another um, thing he points out in here about, like the protozoa has 100 times more DNA than a human. It has DNA that shows, that um, tells the cell how to make a jointed limb. Like why would a protozoa have that unless in the future it was designed for God to go turn this on, turn this on, turn this on, turn that off, and we have an elephant.
0: (laughs) How, wouldn't you, okay, stop it. We need to finish. Um, (laughs) Wouldn't you love to see eight-year-old Shannon debating on the schoolyard, <laughs> the truth of the encyclopedia, I, It just, I, I really am sad that I missed that, um, <laughs> it's the, I, I read the book, and it's weird, and it's the only, it's the only person, we've, I've read 20 books on this subject, it's the only one that claims that 15 billion years is actually also six 24-hour days, and, and he does it with charts, so it must be true. Um, but I want to push you here. So we talk in science about confidence levels. How confident are you that, that this is the right answer? Yeah, I told you before, like 5%. Like 5%, yeah. But it's fascinating. It is fascinating. It is fascinating.
1: Well, what I love about it is that um, this issue is an issue that we're really never going to truly understand this side of heaven. And you don't have to. Right, all of us in this room um, need to understand enough to realize that you're living in a created world, uh, in a created universe, and um, and to understand who God is. That God is objective. That there is there is an actual God, and um, and we can get a chance to know Him and pursue Him and understand who Christ was and is, and 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 pursue living in the way that follows Christ. We can do that. Do that with gusto. Pursue the physical realm as much as we possibly can. Let's go ahead and cure pancreatic cancer. Let's go ahead and do a bunch of these things, because it's awesome and it it, it really helps and saves people. Um, And at the same time, you can have a full and robust faith um, uh, and not have that diminished in any way by any of these any of these advances or creations or other kinds of things that we discover as part of just understanding the world that God made and the design of how he made all of us. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're given this um, this admonition in scripture, love your God with all your mind. And I'm just going to stop with that because it's mind, heart, soul and strength. And we kind of go through all that, but just stop. You can love your God with all of your mind and go as hard as you can at understanding his world, at understanding his character and looking at the, the reality of his creation and have a passionate and vibrant and saving faith. And I, to me, it's just incredibly encouraging. This, this kind of stuff is cool. And we'll all, all four of us up here will geek out on this stuff, you know, because we like to do that. But um, uh, and it's fun. But, but at the same time, it's a side issue. God is who he is. He remains at the center of our faith. And I just love that we can pursue him that way and that this is all just part of it.
0: Yeah, um, we're, we're going to stick around up front. If you want to talk to us, if you want to talk to Shannon about birth control or you want to talk to Ryan about lower back pain. Um, or Doug about the, the U.S. medical system. Um, he'd be glad we, to answer we, all those questions. We've got it all
1: questions. fixed next week. Next week it'll um, open
0: it up. And, and the ushers or the, uh, the elders will be up here if you, if you want prayer. Um, so grab an usher. They'll be glad to pray with you. Um, we don't have a closing song, but I am going to close with a poem. And uh, it's an Elizabeth Barrett Browning poem that uh, I hadn't thought about for several years. And Doug reminded me. Uh, It goes like this, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush is ablaze with God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit around plucking blackberries. May each of us be those that are able to see God in nature and take off our shoes and worship the holy ground that we're on. Have a great week. Thank you.